0: You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex is happening in the marriage bed. Here are your hosts, Dr. Corey Allen and Shannon Etheridge. Well, welcome to another episode of Sexy Marriage Radio, where honest, straightforward, no holds barred, Not candy candy coating, there you go I almost (laughs) said jinx after that one Um, (laughs) It's just straightforward conversation about marriage, sex, life, love Anything and everything in between Because what we really want to do If you're new to Sexy Marriage Radio Thank you for finding us We're so welcome home And one of the things we really want to do is Be a tremendous resource for mature conversation about sex in marriage Because if you look at the stuff that's out there, while there is some good information in some of the different shows I listen to at times just to kind of be abreast of what's going on, there's a lot of immaturity in the way it's being handled. And there's a lot of anything goes in the way it's being handled. And there's a lot of, oh, whatever makes you happy in how it's being handled. Because we believe in the sacredness of sex and in marriage, and we want that message to spread as far as possible. And one of the ways we stay in touch with our listeners— is the email. Our inbox is feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. We also have a form on our site. If you go to sexymarriageradio.com and look, there's a tab for Sexy Marriage Radio, and it'll say fill out a form or ask your question, and that's where you can give us even more detail and possibly join us on an episode if you're interested. And so I've talked enough, because I think Shannon's got some... uh, This will be fun, and I think it's largely from a conversation we had in last week's episode That kind (laughs) of spurred this on.
1: (laughs) It totally did. As
0: a a comedic way to go through this. So fire Mm -hmm. away with what what this article you found.
1: Uh, Well, I had to laugh last session when you were talking about technically we were still virgins if the penis hadn't gone into our vagina, which is. You have to laugh when you think about the things that we thought as teenagers or young adults about sex and how differently yeah. it turns out that that sexuality really is. Yeah. So it, it reminded me of an article that I had read recently on crack.com, which I'm going to be honest, for people who do not like foul language, that's probably not a website <laughs> you would want to get your information from. But um, I have found some of their articles incredibly helpful in developing some of my uh, writings and Thoughts and things of that nature. So, this one was called Five Insane Things I Was Taught in Abstinence Only Sex Education Class.
0: Oh, this should be fun.
1: Yeah. And interestingly enough, my daughter, who's now 25 and teaches at a university, which blows my mind that she's a university professor, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she sent me a podcast recently. I think it was like an NPR podcast. About how the states that have the highest pregnancy rates are also the states where abstinence is most frequently taught, right? And that so oftentimes it's that abstinence message that, well, this is how I would explain it when I was actually an abstinence educator 20 years ago when I was first starting out on my ministry track is that, um, Christian kids were more likely. To come up pregnant because never would they go out on a date carrying a condom because if you were carrying a condom that was premeditated sex right. you intended to have sex but if it just happened accidentally in the heat of the moment then we, we we're not guilty we're just victims of our own desires <laughs> it right. just was amazing how it was usually the Christian girls that would come up pregnant the old rationalization that. hamster. Yeah. Yeah. That we, we don't want to be guilty. We'd rather be pregnant than guilty or rather get an STD <laughs> than guilty. Cause guilty. Oh my gosh. Being guilty. No of pre-meditated sex. Right. That would, that would just be the worst. Yeah. Cause you know, that was like a reflection on our character or whatever. But anyway, so. I'll probably venture off the uh, beaten path here with the direction they went in the article, but I thought that it would be an interesting conversation for us to have. Okay. So Corey, what are your earliest memories of, I mean, you were a youth pastor at that's, that's when I first met you eons ago, right? Uh, 22 years ago to be exact. Cause my son just turned 22. And I remember he was a newborn when I met you.
0: Okay. So,
1: um, what's been your experience with watching that generation that we probably did instill a lot of, abstinence values into because we were youth pastors and that's what we were passionate about. But how have you seen that evolve over the past 20 years as those people did get married, got older, had kids, have the same struggles as so many of our listeners have.
0: Right. Uh, Well, I think some of it comes down to the idea that abstinence only lends itself. the, The pitfall of it is ignorance. That yeah. it's just this whole, no, 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 stay away. Because a lot of abstinence-only stuff that's taught, not in the direct curic- curriculum components of it, but the way it's taught from families or parents or churches or communities is don't. Don't do it. Don't do Period. it. Don't do it. in the discussion. If you come home pregnant, you got a problem. And you know all these different things that are fear-based and guilt-based and shame-based and so, of course, you're going to have tremendous anxiety. I mean, that's the thing I've seen the most in my own marriage. And then, and the clients and friends I've got that were raised in the church where the message was, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then, when you say I do, okay, have fun. You know, you have no clue. <laughs> and, and I'm going to sit here and say, even to the most educated uh, person out there that was exposed to everything possibly, you still don't have a clue. <laughs> the depth of what married sex is. Because I put married sex in a different category than just sex. Because those are two different things. And I believe they need the sacredness and the blessed part of it is when it's in marriage. That's what we both believe and propose in the show. But we also realize the world we live in, that if we could still help people have better sex and make better choices, it's changing lives and it's changing generations. So it's seeing it as. It's half the story, if that is, you know, so it's seeing it as, okay, how do we be a little more grounded in our message? I mean, I remember when I had a chance to teach a couple years back at a church on how to talk to your kids about sex, and I did a section on uh, protection for STDs, and where we talked about condoms and diaphragms and the pill and IUDs and all the different things that are available. Right, There was some pushback of how could you teach yep. that? And I'm like, well, I would rather have my children prepared and knowledgeable than mm-hmm. ignorant.
1: <laughs> right.
0: So it's seeing it as, okay, this is not a value thing. This is just a fact thing. Right. Now we can talk about a value thing after that.
1: Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing. I explained to parents because I always knew that there would be you know, some freaking out when they picked up their kids and learned that, oh, she talked about condoms and she right. talked about pills. And But I would tell them, I'm going to present them as none of this is foolproof, Right. that these are the failure rates of these things. And so they got the message that these things are available and you're increasing your chances of not getting a disease or becoming pregnant, but there's still that room for error as there often is. So, and you had said how um, this is a reality of the world that we live in. It's estimated that 90% of people who walk down the aisle to pledge their lives to each other in marriage had sex before they walked that aisle. And so 90% is a pretty big percentage. Mm -hmm. And so obviously this is human nature. There's no denying it. Um, And I used to think that that was a bad thing probably because of my upbringing in the church and just the taboo, the stickiness of the whole topic and how little it was discussed at home. But as a coach, I think that my feelings have evolved on it That for two reasons. Number one is because I think that two virgins who marry often come into that relationship, and this was mentioned in the article, they come into the relationship assuming that Their sex life is going to be so great. And (laughs) it's just guaranteed success because we did it right. Right. But how many emails do we get at feedback at com, where they've come in both completely ignorant as right. to what their bodies are capable right. of as to what each other's body is capable of as to where to even start. And they just feel awkward and that's a rough start yep. to a marriage. Yeah, you know, that, that first year of marriage can be really challenging when you both feel as if you're stumbling around trying to figure out what the heck to do. And you're thinking that your partner doesn't know what to do and you're angry and all that kind of jazz. The other dynamic though, too, is um, I think that people who, come into marriage as a non-virgin, often feel a lot of guilt and shame. And the guilt and shame alone can really drop your libido down to some baseline levels. Right. Because it's that scarlet letter on your sweater type of thing. You just feel like you're scarred for life and, and you just don't feel comfortable and confident. I think that this probably affects women more than it affects men just because of the culture. But that notion of... We've done something so irre- irreparable that there's no way that God will bless our marriage because we sinned before we got married. I, I don't find that in God's economy at all. Right. I, th- the, the notion that God is a tit-for-tat God, and if you did this, then he's going to do that. But if you did this, then he'll do this. And that is not how God works. And that whole notion of now we're doomed, Right. I think that that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. That is self-sabotage and um, that we need to remember, those of us who believe in this way, that what Christ did for us on the cross covered even our premarital sex. Right. And so here, here's the other paradigm shift though, that I was alluding to is I think that it's incredibly healthy when a couple have so much sexual chemistry and passion between the two of them that they find it hard to keep their hands off of each other. I'm not prescribing what some would call fornication. I'm just saying that if there's not even the overwhelming temptation, maybe there's not enough chemistry between the two of you to really make marriage work because there's a reason for that chemistry in the early stages of a relationship. That chemistry is intended to create all kinds of bonds and memories and to cement the two of you so that when life levels out, and challenges come along and really get overwhelming. You always have that bond to refer back to right. people who don't take the time to really experience that bond because we're going to do it right. We're going to keep our hands totally off of each other. And we're going to only group date, not kiss until the altar and all of that. And I don't mean to insult or offend anyone who chose that path. If you chose that path and it's working for you, great. I am so happy for you. And I mean that in all sincerity, but there's a lot of people who drank that Kool-Aid and that's the exact expression that they would use is that, that they fell for it thinking that there was going to be a payoff that it just hadn't happened that right.
0: way. Right. So what are the six?
1: Okay. Well, it's five things. Okay. I think. Five.
0: Well, we, we can, maybe we can make <laughs> up the fifth, the sixth. That's well, fine.
1: We've, we've alluded to a couple of them. Um, but uh, the, the notion that all premarital sex is treated like adultery is I think that that's probably a lot of the the guilt where the guilt and the shame comes Mm -hmm. from that. I even remember saying the expression myself and I'm embarrassed to admit it, but the notion of if you're not married to that person, just know that the chances are you're probably not going to marry that person. You're going to marry somebody else Well, you just had sex with somebody else's spouse. So that makes it adultery. I admit, I, I was guilty of that mentality because that's what I had been taught.
0: I've never even thought heard of that. Really? Yes.
1: Yeah, that was kind of part of the whole true love weights okay. movement. Is that this is someone's future spouse.
0: Okay. So therefore And if I you have, have sex with them. Adultery.
1: Exactly. Wow,
0: isn't that isn't that to a degree just trying to make scripture say what we want it to say? <laughs>
1: Isn't that what the Pharisees <laughs>
0: exactly. did that
1: upset Jesus okay. so much? If you're putting words into okay. God's mouth that He never said,
0: okay, that's interesting. All right, that, I'm, yeah. I'm intrigued. Let's roll. Let's go.
1: <laughs> okay, so another concept is that um, people who think that they that that marriage is the absolute only place for sex and shouldn't you know sex should never ever ever be done outside of marriage, they have a tendency to rush into marriage. Sure. Because their hormones are screaming. Sure. I want to have sex. I want to have sex. So they have a tendency to choose a partner without taking the time to really discern long-term, is this going to be somebody well-suited to my spiritual values, to my political values, to my emotional needs, to my sexual desires, all of it, all of it, all of it. Dating is supposed to be a long season of... Figuring that out, if this is the right person for you, and and, and then the engagement. But so many people, and I even add, I admit, and this person might even be listening, so um, I apologize if if I step on a toe here, but I admit that I was interacting with a friend recently who um, is around my age-ish and who also, unfortunately, experienced a divorce and has already found someone and was saying how we're going to do it, this is the quote, we're going to do it right this time. We're not going to have sex before we get married. So it's probably going to be a really short courtship and, and engagement was, was the punchline.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And, and of course, you know, my innards kind of did flip-flops of, Right. Oh heavens, like right. this could be, this could be even more detrimental than the first choice that you made could with be. the first spouse.
0: Yeah. It could yeah. Be.
1: And so the notion of, you have to get married before you have sex with that person or else it's going to be so, so catastrophic. I do. I think that that can lead people to making some rash decisions on who their life partner could be. And that's
0: one of the best dating advice I've heard recently is, and this is really to the younger generation, not necessarily the people in a second relationship possibly, but is date a long time and put yourselves in lots of stressful situations. Yes. Because then you can see how the other person responds and reacts to stress. You know, go to family reunions with each other, travel on a plane with each other and put yourself right. in, in major traffic gridlocks with each other and just see how they respond, because that's going to tell you a lot of who they are.
1: That is so, so true. And I know that part of this whole True Love Waits movement, too, I remember hearing that if you know, then you know. There's no reason for a really long engagement. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I think that once you decide to get married, there needs to be a season where you discern, okay, how, how does this person function in a committed relationship? Because there are a lot of people who have control issues Yeah. that they don't, they don't want to be yeah. controlled. And the idea of being tied down or having a ball and chain around you kind of thing can really impact them in a very negative way. And with a longer engagement, you might have an opportunity to see that before you walk down the aisle and commit your entire life to them. So the whole notion—it was explained in the article—of it's crazy that I got married before I could legally drink. <laughs> it was because he was a horny teenager, and uh, you know, was off at college, and it was like, you know, well, it, it, I'm 18, right. I can, and in some states, it, it's 17 that you can get legally married without parental consent. Right. Um, but the notion of I can. I can do this but I can't do that. That, that yeah. should tell you how crazy the thinking is of yeah. getting married so young in life. Yeah. But really that it's about sexual drive. Right. And I am not prescribing premarital <laughs> sex. I just want to go on the record okay. as saying I'm not prescribing but premarital sex. But what about sex. if we
0: have to see if we're compatible?
1: <laughs> that I am asked that by many many clients. Yeah, I am too. And and I have gotten to the point where I tell people Stop obsessing over a decision that you're not going to be making by yourself anyway. Right. You're going to be making that decision in tandem with your partner because that, that conversation, I mean, you're only part of the equation. Yeah. And I know, I mean, this is is an awkward, awkward, awkward situation. You You want me to take the
0: ball and run with it then instead? I'll go, I'll go a different way with it.
1: Well, yeah, go ahead.
0: Okay. So. The, thing, the way I respond to the compatibility question whenever I'm speaking or have a client that brings it up, I just ask the comment of, okay, wait, do you have a penis and does she have a vagina and do they fit? Probably <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. because it's pretty amazing how that whole thing goes together.
1: It's pretty organic.
0: But then there's another deeper level of this, of who among us is compatible <laughs> right? Because we the, all have there's differences. There's going to be hurdles. We all have conflict. We all have family of origin issues. And we've actually got an email that came in uh, a couple of weeks ago that made the comment of some uh, what they one of the best advice they had heard when prior to their own marriage was simply this. One day you're going to wake up and realize you're married to the wrong person. That's <laughs> the day your marriage really begins. I loved that. <laughs> <That's a> fantastic <laughs> phrase.
1: Yep. Because that's yep.
0: exactly it. That's the way I say it of one day you're going to wake up and roll over and go, who are you and what are you doing in my bed? Right. And that's when you really are in that. That's when Snarsh puts it in. That's your crucible of now we really get to the good stuff. Now we right. get to what really we can become. And if I'll view it that way, compatibility is not a big deal then. It's about, okay, hold on. I'm not compatible with anybody because if I find the person, I mean, if I found the clone of me, that would be boring real fast. Right. <laughs> so right. it would seem yeah, like it's it takes great. yin
1: and yang. Right. Yeah. It, it seems
0: like it'd be great, but it's really not. All yeah, right, that, so- that's
1: a really good point. I also want to say, though, I have heard many a client say, quote, I wish that we had slept together before we got married because I would have never married that person had I known what kind of intimate partner they would be. And I think that that is a very sad statement. Right. My heart bleeds for people who find themselves in that situation. Right. But I always believe that there's a potential to turn that Titanic around and sure. to learn those that sexual dance together. Sure. I don't think that it has to be a total deal breaker that the first part of your marriage started off rocky. Right you, you can you can always take a turn and improve on that. But here's another uh, concept from the article: is that this is number three. Uh, yeah, I, I, haven't gone in okay, any I've been bouncing around. For Go for
0: different it concepts. Sorry.
1: Yeah. That, the article was so long because there were so many ads that I just got <laughs> distracted. Um, but the, the concept that this is the quote, abstinence broke my vagina. <laughs> the notion, and I had not thought about the correlation between religious upbringing or abstinence-only education, which I think is probably pretty much a religious thing. Hand in I, hand. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know that non-religious people put that on their kids, but um, that, along with vaginismus or extreme frigidity. Sure. I, I mean, I knew that legalism sure. led to frigidity to to a certain degree, but I never thought about vaginismus being directly related sure. to. The legalistic viewpoint of nothing can go inside your vagina. Don't let anything inside your vagina.
0: That would be an interesting study.
1: Wouldn't it? And so the notion of, and this woman in this article, uh, and again, this is not a Christian article, but she says um, abstinence broke her vagina, marriage, you know, just really brought that to the surface and what healed her vagina was divorce. And she's since become incredibly promiscuous. And that broke my heart to read that some people feel the need to go. But it describes the pendulum swing that is so often common to the human spirit of when the pendulum is really, really far in one direction, like nine o'clock. When you let it go, it has a tendency to swing all the way back over to three o'clock rather than just find a healthy middle at six o'clock where it should be. Yeah. So I just wish that parents and sex educators and youth pastors and ministers, and I wish that they could promote these concepts. That yes, God's ideal is for sex to be experienced only in marriage. Mm-hmm. But if that is not a goal that you can meet, there is grace and there is mercy and there is redemption. And a couple can certainly grow together and have a great sex life in spite of making some premature choices before marriage or whatever. And incidentally, I'm going to interject. There's a great book called um, Good Christian Sex by um, Bromley McClanahan, I think is her name. And it kind of unpacks this concept of what we need to be teaching as a church Mm -hmm. is that the healthy, this is the healthiest standard by God's design. But if you fall into the 90% of people who can't, Seem to meet that she, she views chastity as a spiritual gift and that not everybody was able to cultivate that spiritual gift in right, their lives right. for whatever reasons, but that you don't need to beat yourself up, that you don't, you certainly don't need to abandon your faith. That's what I call throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I am constantly trying to remind clients that God is not looking down on you because of your choice to have sex outside of marriage, before marriage or outside of marriage or whatever, where where did your concept of grace or mercy come from that you think that it's so limited that there's no way that God can forgive you for this? Mm-hmm. But um, if churches can teach that, yes, this is the goal, if you fall short of it, there's grace and redemption, but you always have the opportunity to cultivate a rich and healthy sex life whenever you choose, but it's gonna take some work, but it's gonna take work in any relationship, whether you're virgins or not. I think that that would be a much more balanced and realistic picture. Yeah. Rather than... The don't ever let anything go inside your vagina until until your wedding day. And then it's all going to be great because you did it God's way. <laughs> it, it just sets so many people up for these totally unrealistic expectations right. and pressure on their partner to be something that they don't know how to be. And they right. don't even know what they need or want themselves. And um, I actually heard a girl at a conference that I was speaking at. She approached me and she said, you know, sometimes. When you share your testimony, she said, I've always, one, she had heard me share it several times. She said, I've wondered if you've ever had the same thought that I've had. And I said, lay it on me. And she said, Well, you know, of course I regret the decisions that I made as a teenager simply because of the spiritual. Um, the emotional fallout mm-hmm. and, you know, not being able to say that you were a virgin on your wedding day or whatever. But she said, the older I get, the more I realize how valuable those experiences have been to me in shaping my sexual views. And I am a very sexually confident wife in my marriage now. And so she said, I've just decided to not look at that as an all bad thing just because nothing is either all bad or all good, right. nothing. And just to to have some grace for
0: herself. Yeah. Few things and, in life are either or. Most of them are both and.
1: And she sees God's fingerprints yeah. on that season of her life. And I have to say, I do too. I wouldn't be doing what I do now had yeah. I not gone through that season of learning so much by trial and error and graduating from the school of hard knots. Yeah. So I hope that what our listeners take away from this conversation is that it's not the end of the world if you weren't a virgin when you married and stop self-sabotaging your marriage because you think that God is so displeased with you because he's not
0: guilt. He gets it. Yeah. Guilt gets buried deep down and then it causes havoc in lots of ways, uh, based on our choices, our mistakes, even our intentional things that when we come, when we become knowledgeable more and we realize, Oh, you know what? Maybe I need to see that from a little healthier standpoint. Maybe I need to be a little more gracious in how I view what I've, what I've done, who I am. Because it's, it's a both and most of the time. It's a, okay, this isn't at all, hey, go do what you want. What, do what makes you happy. This is, no. this is just a, hold on. Let's just be realistic about our humanness. Let's be realistic about who we are, what we're capable of, good and bad. And make the best choices we can going forward, because we can still do things that are in line with character and integrity and value and morality as far as you define it. And if that's religious, then you can do that. I mean, that's—so it's seeing it as, how do I view the world through a better lens? How do I view what goes on so that I don't go from one, end to one extreme to another? Because that's where I say 180 degrees from crazy is just another form of crazy. <laughs> so how do I see these things as not reactionary, but responsive? Because a lot of the message we get, they still play out today. I mean, and if, you, if, you're, if you're listening to this whole thing and you're wondering, what are you guys talking about? That doesn't hit me. I don't even understand what, you know, I don't have guilt, I don't have whatever. But there's still the component of, are you a better sex partner now, further into your married life than you were at the beginning?
1: Gosh, I we, hope so. Because
0: we all grow and we all get knowledge <laughs> and we all get experience that we gain as we go along. And some of those are things from failures where we recognize, mm-hmm. I need to do something different. I need to challenge this. I need to. And so it's just seeing all of that through this lens, I think, is a better path forward.
1: Right, and I would venture to say that those who sowed wild oats when they were single, they may have less temptation to act out of their marriage because they know that it wasn't very fulfilling.
0: Sure, maybe so.
1: Don't don't catastrophize, and remember, you know, you may have been raised in an era of abstinence only by a bunch of hippies who it was like make love not war. But pay attention to what kind of message you're passing down to the next generation. Make sure that the pendulum doesn't swing too hard in either direction. You give a balanced. Presentation right. to your kids,
0: and this can apply to guilt guilt on a lot of other different subjects too. Of Absolutely. have have you looked at things to realize wait, where does this message really come from, and is it what I believe? Is it who I am as I see things? Because that's the beauty of spirituality. In me is it's a personal journey, and God works on you, and you evolve, and you mature, and you deepen. And even if you don't have a relationship with, with a God, there's still we have a spiritual component to us that we will refine and evolve and deepen our values based on. And that's the whole point to me is being better, being more solid in who we are. And that's our path. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, this has been Sexy Marriage Radio. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us. So wherever you are, whatever you've been doing, I'm glad you joined us.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll see
0: you next time.
1: We love you for listening.